Welcome to the TriCatch podcast brought to you by EI2. Uh, this is Cody Schrader, Business Solutions Manager. And my name is Carl Horn. I lead a team called Digital Originations. And I am on that team. Yeah, you yeah. are. You yes. are. Okay, good. <laughs> hey, uh, welcome to our podcast. We're here to talk to you today about the subject of product management. We want to talk about the practices that you put into place to, to perform product management, modern product management, and then some of the cultural considerations and, and challenges that you have to overcome when trying to bring this into your organization. Absolutely. We are students of the game right now, constantly learning. We don't do everything perfect, but we're just trying to learn and go as as, as we're learning. We're, we're adopting and trying to do our best. So. Yeah. So we both work for a pretty successful business. It's 103 years old. It's a ag financial lender. Uh, it's the largest in the United States by a pretty decent margin as part of the farm credit system. So it's structured a little bit different than a normal bank. But we've got a long track record of going out into the marketplace and being able to serve the marketplace's needs. And so we've got a long history of bringing new products and ideas into the marketplace. And we've got a very lengthy record of performance in that area. But a couple of years ago, we started to search for new ways to bring new products in the marketplace. And that's where we discovered companies that you'd be really familiar with, but some of your top companies, the different way that they were trying to establish product market fit and just how successful they were. And Cody, you've got a a few examples of some, but I think that's a really important place to start is if you're going to talk about product management, what you're really talking about is the methodology, the discipline that you use to help establish product market fit. You've got this idea. You want to bring it to life. You want to execute on that. How do you help ensure that something that the the marketplace is going to want, right? Absolutely. And so we'll talk quite a bit about that here in this podcast. I think this is a good place for you to jump into these yeah. stories that you have. So as I look back at my career, I think one of the assumptions that that we make is that the problem that you're trying to solve actually exists in the market. That's something that we that I've I've kind of had to catch myself quite a bit. So the work that we're trying to do is really get out there and understand first first and foremost does the problem exist. And so a couple examples that I'm familiar with is Airbnb. I know they started out as a blog. There's a design conference in, I think it was in San Francisco. The the founders of, of Airbnb decided to rent out their air mattresses. I think it was for like 80 bucks. And sure enough, they created a blog and some people signed up for that and they made 240 bucks that weekend for that conference. And so that kind of gets to the core of trying to determine if there's a problem in the market. And then they thought of a very low scale experiment to uh, solve for that. And you don't know when these problems are going to hit you, right? Another example that uh, we've looked at is MailChimp. It actually started out as a side project uh, for a web design company. A lot of those clients for that web design company were asking for the same thing back in about 2007, I think it was. And that was that they wanted an email marketing service. There wasn't one that really existed at the time. And so founders of MailChimp, well, they were the founders of a web design company to start, decided to go down a different path and create an email marketing company. And that's what MailChimp is today. Both those examples um, 
are pointing to the fact that you have to do validation to make sure that the problem exists. And that's something that I think we've learned from a lot here and we continue to learn from is not trying to assume that the problem exists and jumping right to the solution. That's a big key point that I've learned as we've tried to instill the product management discipline. So easy to fall in love with ideas, these solutions that we create. Right. You've been there. I think most people have. You kind of have this epiphany like, oh, I know what would fix that. Right. You know, it's this this widget that I could build or you know, a solution that I could provide the marketplace. And typically those all die on the vine because you don't actually have the capability or willpower to go out and actually build that. But when you do and you go out into the marketplace, I mean, you, you build the thing out, just so quickly get infatuated, just wrapped around this new solution that we're trying to create. And that oftentimes is a mistake. It's a mistake because even in that Airbnb, you know, they had extra room. How can we raise a few more dollars? There's this design conference. Can we get onto this blog or post this blog about, Hey, come stay at our place. And I don't know if you've ever been to San Francisco, but it's tough to like find a place to yeah, stay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And think about how much Airbnb's disrupted that even more. Right. Try finding an affordable housing because you can rent out your place and mm-hmm. it just, it's changed the economics so much down there too. But it's a classic example. They came up with a solution. And if you ever really dive in their story and you have, it's fascinating. That thing was dead a couple times. Right. Until they had some major ahas. I think the major ahas that they had still all came around to hold up. We got to uncover a deeper layer of the customer's challenge to be able to unlock that, to remove fear, uncertainty and doubt their FUD and get them to adopt our product more efficiently. And working on a product team with product managers, gosh, we run into that every day. Mm -hmm. We're constantly discovering something new. It is a big change when you have to abandon this kind of behavior that your value in a company and your value to your team and your value to your customers, your ability to generate the next great idea. Right. I've seen it both ways where people clearly define product managers as CEOs of their product. And I've seen other coaches say the opposite, that you're absolutely not a CEO. You know, in our company, we already have a CEO. So neither one of us get to be that. I think the principle is, is that you're the leader of your product and you determine what happens with it. And I think what we've discovered is it's probably the analogy just doesn't fit us that well. We do whatever possible just to put the power in the customer's hands and let them behave, and then we can be responsive to that. I'd, I'd add on to that. You you do hear that you're the CEO of your product quite a bit. What we've learned, I think that we prioritize learning. And when you get something out into the market, in the Airbnb example, when you get something out into the market and you learn like, oh, wow, this thing actually worked, um, you use that data to then drive your next decision. And so I think for us, as, as we're instilling product management uh, here, you know, it's pretty obvious what you should work on next. That data really kind of lets you see uh, where the wind's blowing in terms of what you should be working on next. And so it's less of, a, less of an opinion on what problem you should be solving, what solution you should be building, and really relying on what the marketplace is telling you uh, what you should be focused on. And so that's that's where I feel like we're going and, and we've seen some success there. Again, we're students of the game and we're we're trying to learn and, and be better, uh, just as even as we learn about product management. I think the fact that we've made learning a high priority uh, has really put us in a position for success long term. Yeah, I would agree with that. And that didn't happen overnight, uh, did it? Right. Um, 
with the products that we get to work on, we had to face a lot of headwind, which is really normal on this culture around creating an idea uh, that you've got a lot of confidence would go out there and work and then just executing on that. And what we had to do is figure out how to get infatuated with these customer needs, like these end states that the customer wants to achieve for themselves and actually become really outcome focused as opposed to output. So it's really normal. It feels good to have an idea, build a project plan around that and go out and execute it and build it together. That's, that's a great moment for teams. Right. Uh, to build even the marketing plan and going out and marketing it and releasing it out into the wild and, and seeing people buy it and uh, training your teammates on an exciting new product that's going to come in and, and getting them pumped up and, and ready to go out and sell it. That's all a set of work that's really exciting to go through. It's got a lot of momentum behind it. It usually uh, results in these big release dates, mm-hmm. parties, balloons, fanfare, marketing, press releases, articles speeches from people that talk good, you know, all of those things. Right. It's really exciting. (laughs) And tell you, when you get into product management, it is just a series of very underwhelming advances. Absolutely. And it's only when you stop periodically, and we just did a couple days ago, when you stop periodically and say, now hold up a minute. Wow. We have really made some huge strides in six months or 12 months Mm -hmm. or 18 months, but they are very underwhelming little steps forward. The, the the important part there, though, is being really focused on these outcomes that you desire to achieve. Even the statements themselves are really underwhelming. Customers said, hey, I, I struggle a little bit accomplishing this task. And so we start to break that down and figuring out how we can help them accomplish that task. Because if they could do that a little bit better, maybe they, you know, we're a financial lender. So if they can do that better, maybe they can better manage their operation and become more profitable. Right. Not only does that improve the you know, it lowers the risk of the loan that you gave them, but it improves their profitability. It's, it's a win-win, but it's, it's usually a whole chain of, of these small underwhelming steps that get you there. You know, I think in some ways when you get into product and you get to design programs and run these projects, there's a little part of you that maybe fantasizes a little bit about you being Steve Jobs or somebody that just comes up with these whiz bang ideas. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, you know, it's great if you can be. The great idea person, but really in this world, it's all about trying to achieve these outcomes for the customers. So culturally, though, that's a that's a big change for a couple different reasons. One, it's hard to articulate as well an idea that you're trying to solve versus what the this thing, product that you're going to build. What the thing is going to be. Yeah, really. It's easy. I mean, most people, if you're in product, project, whatever management, almost everywhere, what that looks like is you come in with a project plan. This is the resources I'll need. Mm -hmm. This is the time box that I'm going to do that in. Here's the features and functionality, everything we're going to build out. And you come in and you ask for the budget to do that. The money, the app dev time, all of that stuff, you know, in our whole prioritization process, and we have, you know, a fleet of app dev teams and associated teams with that. We had to bring in a project that looked completely misshapen versus everything else that went in there. And luckily we had some early supporters and we'll get into some leadership support here later on, Mm -hmm. but early supporters that could look at that and trust us enough to say, okay, so you want to do something that you have no idea what it's going to become, nor how much money it will cost or the types of resources it will demand. And you want top billing priority so that anytime you could just free will go back to the app dev buffet Mm -hmm. and get 
support to be able to do this. And we're like, yeah, basically <laughs> that's what we'd like to do. And they're yeah. like, yeah, cool. Sounds good with me. They're really fortunate to get that support for the, from the company to pursue this. So that was one side of the cultural change. And then the other side is something that Cody actually highlighted was when you become focused on outcomes, it changes actually the way that you talk to each other. So in a traditional world, I said, you know, part of us always has this idea about being Steve Jobs. Well, Steve Jobs got really valued on two things. One, came up with great ideas. And two, he could execute. He could uh, will those things into action. We just kind of have this fantasy about being that type of a person. So what happens in the workplace is you start to become valued on the ideas that you have. And better yet, when you have the idea, then you become valued on the processes you put into place to execute those ideas. And so, you know, that term, you're not your job. Well, sometimes it feels like you are, that your worth to your peers and to the company and to the customer is your ability to come up with good ideas and then develop a process to execute them. And those ideas feel like you Mm -hmm. and the processes that you use feel like you. So if all of a sudden that product isn't getting the job done and I come in and say, Hey, Cody, you know, our whole process that we built here sucks. That's offensive. Right. That's offensive for you to hear. Yep. Or gosh, it looks like the product was a pile of junk. This isn't working out at all. If you work in a culture that is sensitive to the esteem of others, then it's really difficult to have those conversations because mm-hmm. you're attacking that person because that idea was their idea. I've been been improved by some people that they work with, but that process is the one that they invented. Right. It came straight out of their mind. It's like, it's them. That process is them. That really challenges one of two things. It's either one, holding people accountable to achieving these results that you want to go out and achieve, or it's the other side and you just destroy people little by little by telling them that, they stink via their ideas and processes, right? <laughs> right? So in a outcome-based world, though, really all you actually care about is achieving this end result. In any idea and any process that you come up with, you just give it up to the world. So you come in and say, hey, I know we're all on board with one thing, and that is we want to achieve this outcome for our customer or the business or whatever you're trying to achieve this outcome for. I have an idea I think can achieve that. Here it is. You give that up to the world. It's not you anymore. Right. What you are is this person in pursuit of this outcome. You're not your idea anymore. And so somebody could say, well, I've done some research on your idea and here are all the reasons it won't work. You're like, cool, then let's not do that. Right. Let's move on. And so it changes dynamic your conversations. And I didn't realize that that was happening, but we had people join our conversation. They're like, oh my gosh. Can't believe the way you talk you to each other. You are so direct. Like, <laughs> I can't, they said that. Yeah. I can't believe the way you talk to each other. I'm like, what? We care a lot about each other. Right. Well, it's because they're normally not used to people saying, um, yeah, that process you built was horrible. I didn't get anything done. And, and nobody was offended by it. Well, we learned. Like, when yeah. you, when you prioritize learning and that process fails, that was an experiment by nature. And you learn that it didn't work, and so you go on to the next thing. We don't take offense when when our ideas don't work because we look at as as a success because we learned something. We learned what not to do. Yeah, we're only really failing if we start ignoring the data. We get back into our old bad habits, exactly. and if we if we start getting into this repetition of making decisions that are in the wrong direction, mm-hmm. it's not about making the right decisions. There's no such thing as the right decision. 
that's because life doesn't have like a, an answer sheet. There's no, there's right. honestly, there's no right decision, especially if you're trying to create things that don't exist. There's just decisions that get you headed in the right direction, which is towards your outcome. And then there's decisions that send you in the wrong direction, which is opposite of your outcome. Right. And uh, as long as you're always making decisions that are put you in the right direction, you're good. The biggest thing you have to worry about is being able to do it at speed. Right. It used to be that it was good enough to be the, the big guy on the block. It was good enough to be the number one market share leader is good to be, you know, all of these things, these big, big companies, big eats small, right? It used to be like that going forward. And it's been like this for a while, but it's the fast eat the small, the people that can Mm -hmm. adjust and iterate quicker and keep heading in the right direction. So, you know, we have a lot of confidence in our ability to keep making decisions to put us in the right direction that we don't worry about what we spend a lot more time thinking about is the speed, the velocity that we have. So one of the, one of the challenges, this is probably getting a little bit in the weeds. One of the challenges when doing this in practice that I think we've learned is asking yourself, what are you doing to prioritize learning and measuring success? Because as you're moving forward with anything, you're going to have to measure success. So you're a, you're going to have to have an idea of what success looks like. And then B, once you get to the point where you feel like you have enough data to make a decision, you need to kind of have that clearly defined and, and know how you're going to, you're going to obtain that information to run that experiment. One, one, uh, personal story. I, I was thinking about work when I was actually like trying to do some parenting at home. So I have this two year old at home and I, I recently bought him a planetarium. And I'm thinking like, Oh, this is going to be awesome. I'm putting him to bed. He's going to have a planetarium and he's going to love it. Well, I was right. I made an assumption. And I was right. He loved the planetarium. So got him put to bed. And then the next night, turned the planetarium on and he just started screaming. And I this went on for like a week. And I had no idea like why he was upset when the planetarium was going on. Well, I took in that data, learned something. And most parents or all parents that have had a two-year-old probably have learned what I just learned is that two-year-olds like to do things themselves. And what the problem was is he just simply wanted to turn the planetarium on himself. So I started letting him turn the planetarium on and he went right to bed. As I was thinking about that in retrospect, that was an example of me focused on the solution, the planetarium, and not actually like focusing on the outcome, which was him just me wanting him to get to bed, right? And so once I started to take in that information and and process it, I, I knew I arrived at the solution, which was him turning on the planetarium. One of the things I've appreciated about our working relationship is we know when to call each other out when an opinion's getting stated. And I think you were talking earlier about, you know, when people are overhearing your conversations, it's like, it's really easy to fall back into that trap and say, hey, here's the solution. Here's the thing we need to go build. But we've got a really good discipline of knowing when an opinion's getting stated and when we need to go get more data to inform that that is that might be the right decision that that's one thing that i feel like we've really done good at is just understanding when when there is an opinion and what and when there is an opinion what are the assumptions that you're making and how can you go test those assumptions i think when you get awareness around how often it is that we state opinions as facts yes once you turn your mind onto picking that up and realizing it wow it's everywhere and the first couple times you're in a meeting and somebody says something and you can't even control it. it just comes out of your mouth where you're like, yeah, that's, that's your opinion. That's not a fact. 
and how much you offend people the first yeah. time you say it because they right. feel like it's an attack. Right. Like, hold up a second. I mean, what's the difference between my opinion and fact, right? Right. <laughs> so, you have to think about it. What what data do you have that supports the opinion that you just made? Yeah. So there's this term called hippo, the highest paid person's opinion, right? Mm-hmm. And those sometimes are the people that that state opinions as facts, right? I'll tell you what, in our company – I've been absolutely so impressed by our leadership's ability to understand, yeah, we there is better ways and we fully support you. And when you even say to them, hey, I think actually what you said there was an opinion, let's go out and put some some data around that to help establish, to, to, to validate that. They're like, yeah, how quick can we get that done? That sounds great. I feel bad for people that work in companies where you'll get fired, I guess, if you say, Hey, I think that is uh is an opinion, not a fact. But yeah, you that's know, really good. Data driven decisions is is so very key. Otherwise you're just lying to yourself. With that brings up a really good point. Without leadership support, this approach would not be possible. You know, you really do need need support of getting the team to drive towards that outcome and not just driving towards the thing that needs to get built. And that that's something that, you know, Carl, as we've worked for it, I've I've really appreciated you know, you've paved the way and blocked for, for the team to, to work with this approach. Like it, it's, it's really got, it's got us going in the right direction for sure. Yeah. Leadership support's really key in this. And there's a probably a few different angles you can talk on that. But I think, I think uh, you and I working together on all of this is really, we're starting to create enough of our own stories internally mm-hmm. that it's less about people having belief that this could work and now they see the evidence around it. And so we're even helping our, you and I and, and others, the teams we get to work with are even helping our company make data driven decisions about doing more of the type of work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that's really cool. Hey, in the prep to this, I had brought up a question I received from one of our other teammates. Oh yeah. That you wanted me to talk about. And the question really fascinated me because it was around, how do you balance honesty versus positivity? It, and it just it highlights a little bit what we were just talking. So how do you do that? How do you balance honesty versus positivity? The reason I thought the question was so cool is it seems absolutely normal to ask that. I mean, are you going to be right. straight and real with me or are you going to be positive? Like it's, it seems in a normal company you would, you would ask that. And what's interesting, though, is it, that it pits those two things against each other. So – it's almost like if you say you're being honest, then that means you're being negative. Right. And if you're positive, then you're lying to me. Right. Right. So how do you balance honesty and positivity? You know how you do that is you rally the troops around this outcome that you believe is possible. Yep. And then anything and then absolutely be positive. Life's too short to be negative with each other. Absolutely be positive. Be positive that you and your team are going to do what's necessary under team principles, but what's necessary to go out and achieve that outcome for your marketplace, your user, your customer, your your teammate or whatever that you're building for. And be absolutely honest and truthful with each other about the the steps that you're taking to do that. Are they working or are they not? And it's really it's really that simple. So I like that. I think in a, in a lot of companies, so you want me to be real with you or do you want me to, to be nice about it? Which one, you know, and I think you, you can be both. Well, I, I'm glad you brought it up because I, I think why, why it's all connected is when you're talking about 
project management and delivering output uh, and not focusing on outcomes. Focusing on outputs and building solutions, there's so many opinions that go into that. And to your point, you know, when you're, when you're telling someone that the solution's not right, that might be honest, but it's going to make them offensive, right? Yeah. But that's, I, I love the way that you put that because when you're focused on the outcome, it's not about the thing that you're building. It's about actually reaching the destination. Yeah. And if everybody's in lockstep and, and moving towards that destination, then it's really easy to be positive and be honest at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. So when we're talking about product management, I get to come to work every day with the goal of learning something new. And when we learn something new, we're actually going to make decisions with data to try and learn based on what that what the learnings of the day were. Uh, and so when you couple that approach where you actually get to have a impact on our customer experience with the culture that we have here, it, it just it makes it a lot of fun to come to work every day. And I, I appreciate that we're in a company that supports moving forward with product management. We haven't perfected this. I think we, we would both recognize that we're still learning about product management, but uh, we are at least moving in the right direction and it does make it a lot of fun to come to work every day. Yeah. So I would totally agree. And I'm really happy to hear that too. A couple things on that. Number one, whoever's listening to this podcast, you you either work here or you work at another company. Your company has strategic objectives, and I hope you know what they are. But in our company, you absolutely do, because especially if you're working on projects the way that, like what we work on, you contribute every day to the achievement of that, and it's because you actually own the strategic objective. And a lot of companies, a board executive leadership form strategic objectives. And we do that a little bit differently here. We get a lot of uh, input from across the company, but they own the strategic objectives and they own the things that we're going to do around those strategic objectives, right? And then just go out and execute. When you're in product management, they say, here's the outcomes we want to achieve. Go discover how to make that happen. And so the decision-making on the very next things to do are all made by the people that are closest to the customer. Yeah, we've worked really hard and have fought for the direction on product development to be led from the very front edge, the people closest to the activity, the the Mm -hmm. customers buying our stuff or interacting with our stuff or whatever. And I think that's really cool. It's also really empowering. Yeah. Every day. I mean, the direction of this company gets set by you. It's fun. It gets built by all of these teammates and it's hugely engaging. It, it reminds me a lot of what it, I, I've not worked at an early stage startup, but um, it reminds me of kind of having like a startup culture inside of an organization. And it's great to have, you know, the support of an organization, uh, what we're working on. But as long as we are marching towards the outcome and in startup terminology, we will continue to get funded. You know, we just have to keep moving towards that outcome so we can, increase that ru- that runway that we have yeah all of this is an experiment there's no stop to product management it goes all the way to your strategic objectives it's all an achievement of even the very smallest things like we have these conversations around these minute changes which will channel customer behavior in a certain way that makes it easier for them to interact with our product all the way to 
conversations about major, major things that are around our top strategic priorities. So this is all, this is all in pursuit of these outcomes. So we want to be happier, more productive, successful people, husbands, spouses, parents, kids, teammates to each other. It's everything. So your example about your two-year-old, all of that, that's, that's all a testament to all of this is an experiment and we're all trying to achieve these outcomes. And, and so that's why our work here will never be done. We'll continue to evolve this until, until we're done here. Mm-hmm. So, Hey, something else we got to talk about. Yeah. So we've had a pretty cool ride and I'll tell you what, the best is yet to come. I'm so excited about what's ahead. I mean, we've got huge things ahead, but if you're listening to this and maybe you've read some articles or read a book or whatever about product management, a cool new way about how you make data-driven decisions, how you get yourself closer to the customer, how you do all of this continuous discovery, all of this type of work, and you're perplexed about how to move forward, uh, I totally I totally get that. That, that makes sense on how confusing this can be because I've been there. And without boring you with the story of what it took for us, we just have a few, Cody and I have a few points that we want to make sure that you know about that help clear some of the path. And this works whether you have a small company, a large company. The, the challenges just manifest themselves maybe a little bit differently. But see, the first thing you should do is you should go out and get some really good coaches. And you can start to work in the kind of the, the product cohort groups out of the, you know, the Bay Area. You can find blogs, a couple in particular, great coaches, Melissa Perry, Teresa Torres. These are people that we've worked with that are fantastic because what they do is, is two really powerful things. One, they help provide a framework on how to approach this. They'll start getting you some of the discipline. You'll need the activities on how to retrain your skill set to be able to run this drill. Another thing you need to do, so you need to get coaches. You got to figure out how to retrain yourself, get the behaviors. As simple as it sounds talking about on a podcast, I mean, some of this, it's just a very different way to approach things. Right. It's different enough that it's hard to adapt to. Another thing that you need to do is you got to get some of your own stories. Get stories that you can talk to your leadership about. Because to begin with, you will have none of your own. It'll just be your idea and... And you've got to, until you start accumulating your own stories, which are hugely powerful, you've got to get, you know, adopt some other stories. So we shared a few here. In fact, what we did is we went and partnered with a senior product manager who was out of Amazon and spent time at Capital One and into it to come in. He's got the road miles. He could say, guys, you're going to be okay. This is how this works. Go out and do this. You'll start achieving results. Now we're creating our own stories and, uh, those are a lot easier to sell, uh, I'd also add, you got to be careful about the talent that you're adding. Be really patient. You know, we work out in the Midwest and people have got a lot of road miles on modern product management, this continuous discovery, data-driven decision-making, all that. Not a ton of people here in the Midwest. And the numbers are growing and the numbers are growing fast, but you got to be really careful about adding talent. Cody, what would you add? On that third point, I would echo that. The talent on the coast, they're, they're used to, to doing things this way. I personally have been humbled, uh, learning, you know, I've, I've done things a, a certain way for my career and 
learning how to do this and, and questioning uh, my approach in the past has been very humbling. So that, that would be my, my advice. As you're, as you're uh, going down this path, make sure that you're building a team that is really curious and comfortable with being challenged. If you had a team that was used to developing solutions and, and, and used to, or, or a teammate that's, you know, used to implementing solutions, Carl, as you were talking about earlier, where, you know, they fall in love with their ideas and, and they really have a hard time getting feedback on those ideas. That makes it really tough to operate on this type of team. Like yeah. you really need to be willing and comfortable to receive that feedback. Cause if you're not like this, this is, this is a, this would be a really tough uh, environment to be in. I, I fortunately am, I'm, I'm comfortable with change and I love it. So I'm curious about what the next thing we're going to be working on is. That's, that's a really great point. A couple that you made in there. We work in a larger successful company and I tell you, one of the things you have to find in people is when we have the safety working here, do you know if your check is going to cash next week? Yeah, of course it is. Absolutely. It is. Not everybody has that benefit. You work in smaller companies and really dependent on making the next sale to be able to have a successful company. Here we're safe, but we surround ourselves with people that can still have that hunger and energy and enthusiasm about as fast as possible pursuing that next step forward and the next step forward after that. And so you cannot have slow, lazy people that want to have absolute control. It doesn't work that it doesn't work that way. You have to, you have to give that all up. Right. Yeah. So we talked, we talked about leadership support earlier from your perspective, you have to have trust in your team that they are going to come to work every day with that mindset, because without that accountability and trust, this, this doesn't work. And if, if I'd been wired any different way, I would have been replaced by somebody that was wired the right way. Those personalities just don't work. You've got to be able to surround yourself with people that you can trust and you have to be a trusting person. Tell you the other thing, and we probably don't talk about this a lot is frankly, your ideas are a lot better than mine. And you just surround yourself with people that have all these different skill sets. And if I had to be the Steve Jobs here and come up with all the ideas, this thing would tank because (laughs) uh, it's not that my ideas are bad. It's just that they're not quite good enough and they always get improved by other people. And that would have frustrated me to say that probably 18 months ago. But now I can easily tell you my first 12 major assumptions about the projects we get to work on. And I think a few of you heard me say that I was wrong on all 12 of them. And that's okay because we can have the right people and go out and test and refine them. And I have, I'm not dependent on my ideas anymore. So I think the, you know, you talk about ideas. I, I appreciate that compliment. But the one thing I've learned is that every idea still needs tested. It oh, doesn't yeah. matter how good it is. Yep. Every idea has assumptions that need to be tested. And that's yeah. one thing that um, I mentioned being humbled earlier. I don't know that I thought that way. And now, you know, I, mm-hmm. I realize that whatever, whatever we'll, we'll use data to help us identify where the problem is and then we'll we'll test solutions to solve that problem we Mm -hmm. cannot assume that those solutions are correct yeah so if if you're hearing this and you're thinking about jumping into product management do it both feet first get yourself some coaches get people adopt other people's stories so when you become discouraged you can remember that there's this this will and can and has worked 
be really careful about adding talent. You have got to hire for emotional intelligence on this. It is by far, far more about getting emotionally intelligent people than about getting experts that can come up with all the greatest ideas. Cause I've got to add one other thing in there. You know, you take top companies and Amazon's a great example of this. They rarely come up with super great life changing ideas. Rarely come up with that. What they're really good at is executing. And so if they're at all a model, if they're at all a model of what success could look like, it just tells you it's not about have an epiphany. You've just got to be able to execute really well. And then uh, be prepared to retrain yourself because as good as you are, Mm -hmm. and Cody, when we selected you for the team, extremely excited, great ad. And I think it was like day two, I'm like, you're probably 10% of the way there. Yeah. And (laughs) I remember you saying that and I was just thinking, what are you talking about? Yeah. And that's, that's what I meant by being humbled. Like, I think I waited 60 days before I told you that. You have to retrain the way that you think. If you, if you were traditionally in a project minded company, like it, it definitely is a retraining of your brain. Sure it is. I wore a backpack to work every day with my laptop in and I feel like I'm coming to school because I'm, I'm learning again. (laughs) Oh yeah. I've been here 15 years and it's at least three or four times a week that I'm learning something significant. Yeah. It's crazy. It's been a absolute blast of a ride. And then to be empowered. So you learn and then we're, we're absolutely empowered to take that information and go build the next thing. So again, leadership support is crucial there. Yeah. So great podcast. This is a lot of fun to talk about and I think we'll wrap it up. That was great. Thanks, Carl. Yeah. Thanks, Cody. All right.